The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from Exodus chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate or set apart to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and to your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth, and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, 
and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. You may hear it in my voice, and you may have seen it in my not passing the peace. I've been ill for the past several days, and uh, for the past several days, from Wednesday to Friday, I was laid up in my room, unable to leave the bed, slept a ton, and when you're feverish, you don't have the mental wherewithal, really, to want to read anything too mentally taxing. But I also couldn't sleep every hour of the day either. Although, like I said, I have slept more than I have slept in years. Um, So what I had often in front of my face was my phone. And if you're watching a gripping war movie like Dunkirk, which I would recommend, or a fluff television show like the great British baking show Holiday Edition, and you're frugal like Bliss and I are, embedded about seven to ten minutes within each of these shows are 90 seconds of ads. 90 seconds of putting something in front of my face. And when you're watching ads in December during the peak of Christmas shopping season, what was in my face always before me were offers. An offer to have my wife buy me a new Buick, which could turn on my home Christmas tree lights. An offer to have the store Meyer deliver everything I needed for my Christmas holiday into the back of my car for no cost. And the father would declare, it's a Christmas miracle. An offer to buy a paper shredder from Amazon so that my child who is missing her mother could have me make a real-life snow globe in the backyard greenhouse. Offers to make my life function more efficiently. Offers to make my life operate so much more conveniently, offers to make my life so much more meaningful. When you're feverish, things take on a different hue. It's like things are intensified in some way and you're living in this strange other reality. And I just began to think about all the things that we put in front of our faces. hands holding screens, mainly, and what these screens put repeatedly in front of us begin to form in us a sense of what's really important, what's right, what's necessary, what's true. These machines in front of our face are not just providing information. They are informing us. They are shaping us. And we have a decision to make. 
Will we move the screen to see reality? Or will we choose that this scene is reality? Wendell Berry, an author I was also reading, probably in much smaller doses while bedbound, says this about the dilemma we face with all that is in our faces. He says, the next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live as created beings or people who wish to live as machines. The next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live as created beings or people who wish to live as machines. The further technology advances, the more evident this choice will become. Will you remain connected to your creator or connected to your plug? Will you be formed by your father or will you be formed by Facebook? Will you be made holy by heaven or will you be made holy by Hulu? The Lord knows the formative effect things being put in front of us has on our understanding of reality. And today, Exodus 13 encourages us to make a great exchange between our hands holding a screen and looking to God's hand holding on to a child who's been redeemed. David writes an encouragement. King David writes an encouragement to us in Psalm 16. He says this about this exchange. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, that sounds better than a Buick. That sounds more meaningful than Meyer. That sounds more amazing than Amazon. The hand of the Lord, the right hand of the Lord is the only one able to help us. So we must set his hand always before us. Exodus 13 asks us this question. What has the right hand of the Lord done that no other hand could do? Three things. Only the Lord's hand can a dead people redeem. Second, only the Lord's hand can a stained person be made clean. Finally, only the Lord's hand can lead the way we can't see. First, only the Lord's hand can make a dead man redeemed. See this in verses 1 and 2 and 11 to 16. As you see all of this talk of new, excuse me, firstborn, the firstborn, the Lord says in verse 2, whatever is the first to open the womb is mine, so set it apart, consecrate it. What does this mean when the Lord says whatever is the first to open the womb is mine? Where else in your memory May you have heard that phrase, something is mine. Vengeance 
is mine, says the Lord. This is an expression of justice. The Lord is the giver of life. And the firstborn male of all creation, Adam, in his sin against God, was the bringer of death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says this, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Firstborns were representatives of a family's future. And in Adam, the future of all families, Adam's future was the future of everyone, death. Without any intervention, without a hand to redeem, death. Just look at what happened in Egypt. Verse 15 demonstrates to us that without a redeeming hand of the Lord, what happens? The Lord killed all of the males to first open the womb. That's the future without the Lord's redemption, death. But, he says, all the firstborns of my sons I will redeem. What does that word redeem mean? Redeeming is all about an exchange, offering something good, something pure, something free for what is bad or evil or enslaved. It's a great exchange. And in verses 11 to 13, the Lord gives instruction to redemption. You shall set apart all the firstborns. So the male animals shall be the Lord's. They are mine, meaning that these firstborn animals will be sacrificed to him. They will die. There will be no redemption for them. There will be no exchange for them. It seems rather harsh. As people are sacrificing their firstborn sheep, their firstborn cows, their firstborn horses, their firstborn birds, there's a reminder of the cost and the penalty of Adam's sin on us. The future of sin, his death. But then the Lord goes on to say, but the donkey, an animal the Lord would consider to be unclean, the donkey, the Lord says, you shall redeem with the sacrifice of a lamb. And if not, break its neck. That's really strange. Doesn't it seem like mentioning that unclean donkey? This is the first use, friends, of the word redeem in all of Scripture. First time it's used. A word to mean rescue or ransom or pull out of a bad place. Pull out that donkey, if you so choose, by the sacrifice of a lamb. <laughs> Strange, unless you look at who immediately follows the instruction of the unclean ass. The same instruction is given for the unclean man. A lamb's blood will redeem that man. A lamb's blood that was on the doorway a chapter back in Exodus, and a lamb's blood will continue to remain the penalty and the payment for the firstborn, for the unclean being able to be, remain alive and be redeemed. 
in the New Testament passage that Shauna read in Luke 2, we see Mary and Joseph coming to the temple to offer sacrifice for their firstborn son. They're coming to offer that blood that started here. And because Mary and Joseph were not well off, they didn't have a lamb to offer. So they brought two turtle doves, two turtle doves, to be sacrificed. As Jesus is brought into the temple, a man, Simeon, who was promised by God to see the Lord's redemption, he laid eyes upon Jesus and he lifted him up in his arms and he said, Behold, this firstborn child, this firstborn is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Jesus, the firstborn Son of God, would take the fall as the Lamb of God for every firstborn of God's people. And He would raise up Many in his resurrection as the firstborn from the dead. Here is the firstborn sacrifice. Here is the firstborn lamb. And in that same scene, another woman named Anna was there in the temple to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption, the purchasing back of Jerusalem. Only God's hand could do this. Only God's hand could do this. And the way he did it was through the pierced hands of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of every unclean firstborn and every generation and person that would follow that firstborn. Only the Lord's hand can make a dead man redeemed. And second, only the Lord's hand can make a stained person clean. We see this in verses 3 to 10. As we see again reference to the tradition that the Lord puts in place. Every month of Abib, which is uh, the name Abib actually means the green, greening of the grain. It's that time of agricultural season uh, where the wheat starts to form the grain. And it's between March and April-ish of our modern calendar. So for seven days, they hold this feast of unleavened bread. It's a remembering of the separating God's people from the Egyptian people. And the mark of that separation was unleavened bread. That lack of leaven, that flat bread, would mark purification of sin. There's no holes in it. It's pure. That when they would eat this bread, they would remember that they were made a holy people to God. Verse 9 says so interestingly that when they put the unleavened bread in their mouth, it says this, the law of the Lord may be in their mouth. When they eat that pure bread, they would be considered a law keeper, not a law breaker. 
When they come upon foreigners, verse 5 says, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, they're eating this bread free of leaven, free of the sourness and the corruption of sin that the Lord made happen through the overnight work of saving them from their slavery. They would see that only the Lord can make a stained person clean. It's a freedom that they received not through their own maneuvering or manipulation or efforts or war efforts. It didn't come through their own ability to outwit Pharaoh. It came only through the Lord's mighty hand. Every year they would take seven days to put in front of their face, like verses 9 and 16 reminds them, as a memorial between their eyes as a sign on their hand, something right in front of them. You got to think about this. They would make a sacrifice for their firstborn. Whenever you family had your firstborn son, what would you have to do? What would happen to your hands? They would be covered in blood. And when a lamb's blood covered your hands after your first baby boy was born, or when a cracker cake was in your hands seven days in the spring, in your face, in your eye shot, was the work that only the Lord could do. We take a week every spring, friends, to do the same things, church. Holy week. The week somewhere in March and April to remember the perfect king who rode into Jerusalem on what? An unclean donkey. The perfect man who was convicted as a criminal to the death penalty. The perfect lamb whose hands hung on the cross to bleed and make clean every unclean child of Adam. And the perfect redeemer who would not only use his blood but also his resurrected breath to bring us back to life. Only the Lord's hand can make stained persons clean. Finally, only the Lord's hand can lead the way we can't see. Look with me at verses 17 to 22. Children of Israel, they're on their way home to a place that the Lord promised them. But it's on a route that your ways or your Apple Maps would continue to say, rerouting, rerouting, turn around, turn around, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. You see, the Lord's hand knows us better than we knows our, know ourselves. He knew the Israelites might change their mind, verse 17 says, if things got hot too quick. So he takes them, verse 18 tells us, by the way of the wilderness. Joseph knew that the Lord had a better place promised for God's people than Egypt. And so he told God's people, make sure you take my bones with you to bring me home. And as they begin their journey as a freed people, as a redeemed and unleavened people, they must trust that only the Lord's hand knows the best way home. In front of their faces was a pillar consisting of a cloud as a covering during the desert daytime travel. There's some protection there, actually. A cloud during desert travel would be really nice. And a consisting of fire during the night, not only as light, but 
the nights in the desert get pretty darn cold too. So also a warming presence during the night. This pillar of cloud and fire became the people's constant companion. Their Emmanuel, their God with us. That pillar would never leave them. And that pillar would take them on a journey that ancient ways or ancient Apple maps would say should take about two weeks of walking. Instead, how long would it be? Forty years of wilderness. Forty years in the way of wilderness, what should take two weeks to walk. The way in which God uses stretches of time and deliberate detours as a sanctifying agent to keep us from attempting to get home without his hand. The way of wilderness where we sometimes question whether God's ways is the most efficient or the most expedient way. But it is a way in which he is leading, not us. Where he never leaves us, even if we wander off course. There's a mystery to the way of wilderness, to those 40 years of winding through wilderness. So we have to remain dependent. We have to remain, as verse 18 says, equipped for battle not because we have honed our fighting skills, but because we have honed our faith to follow your lead wherever you're leading us, wherever we're going. The pillar of cloud, fire, would eventually rest upon a place called the tabernacle, which would be the meeting place between God and his people. But for us today, those who have been redeemed by the firstborn's lamb's blood, who have been purified by his body, his unleavened body, the pillar that we have is not only God with us, but it's the Spirit within us, the Spirit which continues us in the way of wilderness and leading us home, the Spirit that convicts us when we're off course by shining a light through God's Word, the Spirit that encourages us when our patience is running thin and we're crying out, are we there yet? The Spirit which promises us, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never for, going to forget you when you're wondering in the darkness all around you. God, are you still active? God, are you still at work when it seems like nothing is happening? Only the Lord's hand can lead the way that we can't see. Some questions I just want to ask in response and in closing in Exodus 13 that we need to be asking about the Lord's hand in front of us. Is it the Lord's right hand that I have set before me as the only hand that redeems me? Or am I depending on the work of my own hands? Am I putting in front of me a list of grades that I made or schools that I've attended or missions and ministries I've helped support or clothes that I wear or talents that I have or positions that I've earned as what rights all of my wrongs? Or do I frustratingly believe that I can't even get myself out of the death penalty? Will we put in front of us daily 
the hands of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, spread open on the cross and say to my children, for by his hand the Lord brought me out of death. If I were to ask you today why you should not have to die for what you've done, what would your response be? Would you start counting on your hands all of your acts of righteousness? It wouldn't be enough. Or would you point desperately to his scarred hands as your ransom? Another question, is it the Lord's right hand set before me as the only hand which can clean me? Are you even willing to put yourself in the same category as an ass? Or do you hide your uncleanness with the temporary remedies of being Wisconsin nice? Pretending that all that is not right with my world at least is not in everybody's eye shot. They don't need to see it. Or do you hide it with hypocrisy? You say all the right things but for all the wrong reasons? Or do you hide it with comparison and judgment that, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, or thank God I'm better than that person? The unleavened bread that we eat is free of sin, not because we've bleached it with our own detergent. It's free of sin because it's full of God's perfection, not our own. I want to encourage you this week, try this. Try cutting some leaven from your daily diet. What's in front of your face or on your phone or in your frame of mind that's trying to convince you that your old Egypt slave life is better than a new freedom in Christ? What's in front of you that's enslaving you? One author said, our new slavery has improved upon the old by giving new slaves the illusion that they're free. Our new slavery has improved upon the old by giving new slaves the illusion that they're free. Ask the Lord to cleanse out the old leaven. Put down your phone and remind you again who Christ has forever changed you to be. Finally, is it the Lord's hand, God's with us hand that I'm putting in front of me to lead me home? Or do I regularly depend on other guides? When I make a decision, do I look to the pillar of God's spirit to help me? Do I listen for his voice to whisper which way I should go or which way I should even stay? Or am I talking way too much? Am I looking at my watch or looking at my calendar saying, God, what you're doing is taking way too long? Or am I trusting that the way of 40 years of wilderness might actually be the most direct way to foster a dependence on the Lord? Is there a road of suffering that you would rather avoid right now? Instead of asking the Lord to use that very path to foster in you, to form in you perseverance to keep on the path home, to form in you character that begins to look more like the king who's leading you home. 
and form in you hope that the home He's promised you comes through suffering. Exodus 13 is a chapter of putting in front of you, remembering what the Lord has done and what He will continue to do. Exodus 13 shows us signs, memorials, remembering of how the Lord has delivered you, redeemed you out of death, made you clean with His unleavened bread, and leads you home by the way of wilderness. W.A. Criswell once wrote that the Lord's Supper is a memorial to the atoning death of our Savior. He said, there are many kinds of memorials on the earth. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., you've seen there the tall marble monument to the father of our country, the Washington Monument. In Egypt, you can see many towering obelisks. Sometimes a monument will take the form of a mausoleum. In India, you'll see the most beautiful mausoleum in the world, the Taj Mahal, built by Shah Jahan in memory of a beloved wife. But our Lord did not create a monument out of marble to bring us to the memory of our Savior's suffering on every half. In fact, This memorial that the Lord chose is not in any form a structure. He did it in a primeval, fundamental, and basic way. Eating and drinking. And this simple memorial is to be repeated again and again and again. The broken bread recalls for us his torn, unleavened body. And the crimson of cup reminds us of a blood poured out upon the earth for the cancellation of sins. The hand of the Lord is the only one able to help us. So we must set his hand always before us. Father in heaven, thank you for your hand. A hand which rescues and redeems those who were sentenced to death by allowing your perfect body to be the punishment, to be the one sentenced to death. Thank you for putting in front of us the hand that makes us clean. Only your hand could do that, could shed perfect blood, which could calm your anger over our sin. And Father, thank you for your hand leading us in the way of wilderness, the way of the cross, where we are called to go to places we wouldn't necessarily choose or places that aren't the most efficient or advantageous for us to go so that we might learn a dependence upon you like none other. We pray that you would lead us by your hand and that you would indeed allow the other hands that we're looking at to lead us, to clean us, to redeem us, to be put away.
Do this work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.